Master Hakun's chant and praise of Zazen. <clears throat> From the very beginning, all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich worth, longing for in this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is ego delusion. From dark path to dark path, we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance, and giving the countless good deeds in the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus, one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and past clever words. In the gate, the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three, straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form, and going and returning, we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi! How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom! What is there outside us? What is there we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. The earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. Today is the 5th of July, 2022, and we're going to con continue with some readings from The Courage to be Happy. Um, this is a um, presentation of the depth psychology of Alfred Adler by Ichiro Kishimi and Fumitake Koga. I gave some biographical information about them in the first talk, so I won't repeat that now. Um, just to say that the, the book is in the form of a Socratic dialogue between a youth, um, a student of Adler's thought, who's um, attempting to put it into practice in his classroom, he's, he's a school teacher, and the philosopher, the younger man's mentor and um, teacher of uh, Adlerian psychology and philosophy. And we left off last week where we were... Um, looking at Adler's um, teachings around um, praise and and rebuke or censure, and the the youth was saying how he 
uh, his impression was that, in fact, praise can have a positive effect on, on his students. Um, when Adler's philosophy banned all praise as well as censure, both. And the, the, the philosopher was presenting the opinion that being praised becomes, can become the goal. And so um, competition for, for rewards emerges and can really come to um, dominate and even control a group where, uh, where, where it becomes established, rather than cooperation. And this, this third part of the book is called uh, From Competition, com, from, yeah, from Competition to Cooperation. We're going to take it up um, the passage where we left off, roughly. The youth says, it seems to you, me that you are focusing only on the negative aspects of competition, thinking of it more broadly, whether it is in our schoolwork, our arts, our sports events, or in our economic activities, once we enter society, it is due to the presence of our rivals keeping up the pace beside us that we continue to step up our efforts. The principle of competition lies at the very root of the power that pushes our society forward. Philosopher, is that so? When children are placed within the principle of competition and driven to contend with others, what do you think happens? One's competitor is one's enemy. Before long, the children start to adopt a lifestyle in which they believe that all other people are my enemies and people are always looking for chances to trick me and must never be underestimated. Re reading this um, prompt prompted my a recollection of, of when I was studying at university and I was doing a, a master's degree in, in Italian language and literature at, in the Italian department at, at Auckland University and um, there were only two of us, there were only two master's students that, that year. Um, and I had this strong competitive attitude that I always wanted to get better marks than my one fellow student in that year. She wasn't exactly my enemy, but I definitely wanted to beat her. And that word, which is, and the connotations of that word do have a, a certain kind of um, violence about him. And I would f certainly feel, feel better about myself when I did get better marks than she did. And 
less inferior, more superior, you could say, um, temporarily, for, for until the next thing came around. But I can recognize that I depended on those, those um, top marks for a, a positive sense of, of self. And there was a pervasiveness of the opposite underneath that. And Adler um, affirms the, that the goal of a, th a therapeutic uh, encounter or education, which he found to be equally important to, to therapy, and he saw therapy as a kind of education, was the development of self-reliance and fellow feeling, these two. He he put the emphasis on horizontal relationships as opposed to vertical ones. And while, while there is definitely hierarchy in classical um, Chinese and Japanese teachings on Zen, there's also an um, emphasis on um, the, this horizontality, you could say, of relationships. Think of the the uh, Master Rin's eyes, true person of no rank. We could, we could say in, in Zen that, that ranks exist, but they're empty. There's a place for them, but they don't, they don't, um, they're not essential somehow expressing some essential thing about us, but are constructs, fictions. Right at the beginning of the Prajnaparamita, the Heart Sutra, we chant, the Bodhisattva of compassion from the depths of Prajna wisdom saw the emptiness of all five skandhas and sundered the bonds that cause all suffering. The emptiness of all five skandhas, body, mind, and mind, all of it, all that comes with that. Adler felt that, that competition was um, corrosive in, in communities. Wherever there is competition, gamesmanship and unfairness arise. There is no need to defeat someone. If we can complete the race, isn't that enough? I think it's fair to say that the notions of competitiveness are very deeply ingrained in our societies and we, um, it is uh, quite revolutionary to, to suggest something other than, other, other than that. But that was what um, Adler held up as an ideal, a community that is run not on the basis of the principle of competition, but on the princi principle of cooperation. 
he, the philosopher says, put cooperation with others above all else instead of competition with others. If you can learn to run your classroom according to the principle of cooperation, your students are likely to adopt a lifestyle in which they will see that people are my comrades. Skipping forward a little bit to this chap next chapter, which is called The Courage to Be Myself. In Adlerian psychology, a human being's most fundamental need is the sense of belonging. In a word, we do not want to be isolated. We want to have real feeling that it's okay to be here because isolation leads to social death and eventually even to biological death. Now how can they get, gain a sense of belonging? By gaining a special position within the community, by not becoming everyone else. By not becoming anyone else, the youth asks, philosopher, that's right. They're irreplaceable, this me must not become everyone else. They must secure a place to be that can be all of their own at any time. They must not allow any wavering in their sense of belonging that it is okay to be here. Youth, if that's the case, it proves my point even more. By praising them and fulfilling their earnest need for approval, one conveys to them, you are not an incomplete being, you have worth. There's no other way. Philosopher, you are wrong. Unfortunately, if they proceed in that direction, they will not be able to re realize their true worth. Why is that? Philosopher, there is no end to approval. So they get praised and approved by others. As a result, they might for some find some fleeting realization of their own worth. Any joyful feeling thus gained, however, will be nothing more than the something granted from outside them. They will be no different from clockwork dolls that do not move unless another person winds them up. I think he's really um, hitting the nail on the head when he says there is no end to approval. My experience in the university was like that. It was ultimately unsatisfactory to rely on on approval from my from my. Uh, professors. We, we chant when we do the four vows, endless blind passions I vow to uproot. There is this, this, this endless quality to our desires that we, no matter how many 
um, approvals we we pour down that more that would never be never be uh, the thirst would never be slaked. Philosopher, the person who is capable of feeling truly happy only upon being praised will seek to get praised more until the very last moment of their lives. Such a person, having been left in a position of dependence, will lead a life of ceaseless, ceaseless seeking, a life without fulfillment, youth. Then what should one do? Philosopher, instead of seeking approval, one has to approve oneself with one's own mind. With one's own mind. Approve oneself? Having another person decide the worth of me, that is dependence or determining the worth of me, oneself, which is called self-reliance. If one were to ask which choice leads to a happy life, the an answer would be clear. Your worth is not decided by someone else. That's impossible. We don't have confidence in ourselves, and that's exactly why we need approval from others. That is probably what we don't have enough courage. It is probably because we don't have enough courage to be normal. It's okay to be just as we are. Your place to be is there without needing to be a special being or an outstanding in any way. Let's accept our ordinary selves, ourselves as, as everyone else. Youth, I am an ordinary everyday, I am an ordinary everyone else without any outstanding qualities. Philosopher, aren't you? Youth, ha-ha. Making such ulcer insults comes perfectly naturally to you, doesn't it? That's the greatest insult I've ever received in my life. Philosopher, it is not an insult. I am a normal person, and being normal is an aspect of individuality. It is nothing to be ashamed about. Um, there's a whole kind of vein in the koan curriculum uh, about this, this very thing. Um, one of the most well-known incidences of this is in the Mumon Khan, Mumon Khan number 19, Ordinary Mind is the Way. When Joshua asks Nansen, what is the way, with a capital W, Nansen answers, Ordinary Mind is the Way. And Joshua asks, shall I try to seek after it? And Nansen says, if you try to seek after it, you go away from it. And Joshua, if I do not try for it, how can I know the way? The way is not a matter of knowing or not knowing. This is Nansen. Knowing is illusion. Not knowing is blankness. If you attain to this way of no doubt, it is as boundless as vast space. So how can there be right or wrong in the way? And at these words, Joshua was suddenly enlightened. We come to practice hoping to find out something marvelous, to attain great qualities, but this is not what's necessary. Nonsense says to Joshua, ordinary mind is the way. 
Ordinary mind is the way. If you attain to this way of no doubt, it is as boundless as vast space. It's, it's a way of no doubt because of its boundlessness. We no longer have edges. Our limitations are seen for what they are, provisional. The youth then complains about this is again about it being um, an insult to be called an ordinary human being. The philosopher says, if you feel insulted by these words, you are probably still trying to be a special me. Consequently, you seek approval from others. You seek to gain admiration and draw attention and continue to live within the framework of problem behavior talked earlier about children, children's problem behavior and seeking attention. Instead of placing worth on being different from people, place worth on being yourself. That is true individuality. A way of living in which instead of being yourself, you compare yourself to others and try to accentuate only your difference is just a way of living in which you deceive both others and yourself. Think of the, 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 the words of the Buddha on his birth. Above the heavens, below the heavens, I alone am the honored one. Alone, all one. Nothing outside to be compared to. The youth then says, you're saying, rather than laying emphasis on my difference from others, place worth on being myself, even if that's mediocre? Yes, because your individuality is not something relative, it is absolute. This is what is being said in, in, the, in the Mumon Khan Koan. Ordinary mind is the way. The relative is absolute. The absolute is relative. So, skipping forward to another chapter, still on the topic of um, praise and rebuke. So now the, the, the um, youth is coming around to this perspective and he sums up, first of all, one must not rebuke children because rebuking is conduct that damages each other's respect and anger and reprimand are low cost, immature and violent means of com communication. Do I have it right? 
I'm struck by this emphasis on um, respect here um, in comparison to the um, emphasis in Maori culture on if one has to um, correct a person to find a way of doing it without damaging their mana. This is something I think we can learn from to do this, to um, find a skillful way of giving feedback. Um, he mentioned earlier about self-reliance. He says self-reliance is a matter of the psyche. In other words, he's not just talking about, about being economically self-reliant or emotionally self-reliant, but um, truly standing alone as the Buddha did. Um, sometimes this is, I think Buddhism takes it further would say um, possibly no leaks, meaning um, no, no reaching out and grasping at what we perceive to be on the outside. to another section. This one is, is headed up. Give and it shall be given unto you. There are um, said to be three sort of life tasks in Adlerian psychology. Um, whether it's through through work, uh, the, ta the, the task of work, the task of friendship, and the task of love. And in each of these, it's not so much the, for instance, with the work, it's not the task itself, but um, the, the relationships, the human relationships that come along with working together with people. It's big emphasis on in Adlerian psychology on working on personal 
relationships through these three aspects of our lives, work, friendship, and love. In a work task situation, for example, rather than treating one's labor itself as the task, one focuses on the interpersonal relationships that are associated with it. In that sense, it may be e easier to understand the tasks by thinking of them as work relationships, friend relationships, and love relationships. So, in other words, we focus on the relationships, not on the actions. Right. Adler focuses on the interpersonal because this aspect lies at the very core of his psychology. Again, we, could, we can see this in, in Buddhism, the importance of, of relationships, and going beyond just seeing them as important, the understanding that everything is relationship. In fact, that's one way of talking about emptiness about ourselves, about those we encounter. Nothing exists apart from everything else. Emptiness is a dynamic, uh, ever-changing kaleidoscope of, of relationship. same chapter a little bit further on. Supposing there was only one me existing in the universe, what would it be like? It would mostly be a world in which neither language nor logic existed. There would be no competition, no envy, and no loneliness either, because it is only with the existence of another person who shuns me as a human being that a human being can feel loneliness. Loneliness cannot arise if there is is truly alone, one is truly alone. Philosopher, yes, loneliness exists with only within relationships. But the fact of the matter is that such a hypothesis is impossible because in principle there is no way that we can live separated from other people. Every person is born from a mother's womb and raised on her milk. We are born in a condition of not being able to turn over in bed on our own, let alone feed ourselves, and then the moment when we as babies open our eyes and confirm the existence of another person, in most cases that it would be the mother, society comes into being. With the appearance of father, siblings, and others from the outside the family, society becomes increasingly complex. Then he goes so far, as this is the youths talking to um, the, say that the birth of society is the birth of suffering. Yeah, this is a little bit like Jean-Paul Sartre's statement, hell is other people. But in Buddhism, we, we would probably say that the birth of suffering comes along with having a body and a mind more fundamental than, than society, but not unrelated. If other people did not exist, no problems would exist either. But there is absolutely no way we can escape the existence of other people. Therefore, all the problems that people have are interpersonal relationship problems. Is there anything incorrect about this understanding? This philosopher, no, you have done an excellent job of summing things up. But allow me to add one point. 
if all problems are interpersonal relationships, is it all right to just sever one's relations with other people? Is it all right just to stay away from other people and shut oneself up in one's room? And the Adlerian answer would be no, it is not all right. Because all the joy of humanity comes from interpersonal relationships. I think we'd say it's okay to shut yourself up in your room actually, <laughs> but at some point you'll have to unlock, the, unlock that door and come back into relationship with others. There are, there are many, many koans about this, this coming back into the world of, of difficulty and conflict and difficult people and problems and tasks that we have to undertake. Then he goes on and, and says that, that Adler makes the following statement with regard to friendship. In friendship we see with the eyes of the another, listen with the ears of another, and feel with the heart of another. Now he's moving into discussion of this, this important um, value within his philosophy of, um, and not just value, but a phenomenon, you'd say, of fellow feeling, um, translated in this book as, as community feeling. Hearing with somebody else's ears, seeing with their eyes, feeling with their senses. Here we come somewhere close to um, a spirit of kanzeon, of non-separation, being able to um, hear the cries of the world. So these these um, This fellow feeling is, is really where our joy comes from, to, to the degree that we, we connect through this sense of, of um, relating to the other in a very profound way. And, and as, as within our own tradition, Adler sees this as being an innate um, aspect of our, of our psyche that we, we don't have to gain it from somewhere, but to uncover it, to dig it up from within oneself. He goes so far as to say, a person who does not embark on friendship can never hope to find a place to be within community. To relate, to... Um, come into uh, a position of uh, of regard of, of uh, of, of resonance with another person. And he comes around back to this, this theme of, 
of acceptance, to, to really have regard for another person as he or she is, and to really, really appreciate their value um, just as they, in being just who they are, then um, one has to also be able to do the same with oneself. We would say, uh, we might put it in terms of, of seeing a person's Buddha nature. And again, from the point of view of, of teaching, to really to deeply respect somebody helps them to muster the, the, the uh, courage and the energy to be, uh, to respect oneself, to be self-reliant uh, ultimately. To, in, this, in other words, to unconditionally accept somebody with and all their strengths and weaknesses. To unconditionally accept one's, one's friends, um, whatever ups and downs, and difficulties and crises they may go through. Ananda um, once said to, to the Buddha, Lord, friendship is half of the holy life something like this. And the Buddha replied, no, Ananda, friendship is all of the holy life. We could talk, talk about Sangha in this way. To, to be there for each other and also to connect with the with the Sangha that, that spans the ages. The Buddhas, and, the Buddhas and Dharma ancestor also are here for us in the teaching we receive and endeavor to practice. Another chapter um, people never understand each other. Do you know the, the love thy neighbor phrase from the Bible? Youth, yes, of course. It's that neighborly love, love that you're talking about so much. Philosopher, the phrase is in circulation with an important part left out. In the Gospel of Luke, in the New Testament of the Bible, it says, love thy neighbor as thyself. Youth, as thyself. Philosopher, yes, that's right. 
he is saying not just to, live one, to love one's neighbor, but to love him as much as one loves oneself. If one cannot, cannot love oneself, one cannot, cannot love others. If one cannot believe in oneself, one cannot believe in others. Please think of the phrase as carrying that connotation. You are insisting that you cannot believe in other people, but that is because you have not managed to truly believe in yourself. Youth, you are making too many assumptions. Philosopher, being self-centered does not mean looking only at oneself because one likes oneself. In actuality, the opposite is the case, and it is because one is unable to accept oneself as one is, and because it one is constantly beset with anxiety that one has concern only one for oneself. Um, this is one of these um, ways, places where Adlerian psychology kind of tips things on its head and, and brings new light to it. Youth, so you're saying that because I hate myself, I only look at myself? Philosopher, yes, that's right. Youth, oh, what an unpleasant psychology. It is the same with regard to other people. For example, when recalling a lover one had a bad breakup with, for, what, for a while it's only the bad things about the other person that come to mind. This is evidence that you want to feel, I'm glad we broke up, and that some uncertainty remains about your decision. If you don't tell yourself, I'm glad we broke up, you might lose your resolve. See it as being that kind of stage. And if you recall the good points about a former lover, that means you do not have the need to actively dislike that person and can be free from feelings towards that person. Either way, the issue is not whether one likes or dislikes the other person, but whether one likes oneself now. This is, you know, this is, you could say, self-referential judgments that we have. It's tied up with our own sense of self, that we, that we see things in a certain way. They're, these are the, the tinted glasses that we often will look through. It's a little bit like something that um, uh, Jim Bendel said. Jim Bendel is a... Um, a founder of um, deep adaptation as a certain kind of response to the climate emergency. And he, he writes, I have learned that any anger I feel towards someone or an opinion actually hides fear. And not only a fear about what might be a real danger, but a deeper fear related to my own self-acceptance, such as I am a good person because I have the correct and relevant information and have a positive effect on those around me. I think we all have these I am a good person because statements that we tell ourselves and we, we cling to these aspects of what we think of being as ourself as a, as a defense about, uh, from our really deep fears about things. A fear of maybe discovering that we are not a good person. It's, it's self-referential judgments such as these that um, 
affirming faith in mind is telling us to let go of. Great ways not difficult for those who do not pick and choose. When preferences are cast aside, the way stands clear and undisguised. It's not saying to give up discernment altogether, but these kinds of judgments that are coloured and um, seen through the, the lens of our own ideas about ourselves. is nearly up, we'll just finish up with this last Just finishes a couple of little short short um, statements. This, these come from the chapter where um, they're talking about the task of love. And um, Adler once said, "Happiness is a feeling of contribution." In other words, that sense that we are of use to somebody. He describes love as being the liberation of me into us. Uh, that self-reliance is in fact the breaking away from self-centeredness. This is the, the, the core teaching of, of Tibetan Buddhism, that it is our self-centeredness that is our burden. It also says, loving someone is not simply an intense emotion, it is a decision it is a judgment, it is a promise. We might add, it's a vow. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. Um
Uh, we have our winter session, Sibley session, starting on Friday, 15th of this month. And during the week of session, there will be evening sittings on Tuesdays and Tuesday and Thursday, and also a Sunday sitting as well during session. <laughs> 